Hi, I'm Elizabeth Noyce, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. McGurk! I love not typing. not messing my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you <laughs> like it? It's being, becoming a human burrito, a plus or a minus. I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther Boardroom or Ballroom. Because really? She looks like a boss in this coat. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther. It's not just Lena being mean. No. <laughs> Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to the CW Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. My name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm Morgan Lennon. And for this episode of the podcast, we are live and wired on the Supergirl Radio Facebook page and the DC TV podcast at YouTube channel to get into the Christmas spirit with a discussion about the film Buttons, A Christmas Tale, starring Katie <laughs> McGrath. That is why we are discussing this film is because uh, Katie McGrath, who played Lena Luthor on the CW Supergirl TV series, is in it. So we are going to be talking about it and we are going to be talking about it uh, with our Katie McGrath Christmas movie correspondent. Bill Meeks. If you will recall on Supergirl Radio, we previously discussed another Katie McGrath Christmas movie uh, uh, titled A Princess for Christmas. It had several titles. We went with A Princess for Christmas. <laughs> Honestly, much like this one. Yeah, much. We'll get into that because there's a lot of confusion with Katie McGrath Christmas movies. Uh, but uh, we talked about A Princess for Christmas with Bill Meeks. So he is now officially uh, the Supergirl Radio Katie McGrath Christmas movie correspondent so welcome bill uh thank you for coming back to talk about this movie with us you know what i always say rebecca once you find a katie Gr mcgrath christmas movie that has multiple titles bill meeks will be there yes i mean <laughs> we're checking all the boxes off for uh these discussions so that's what we're going to get into even if you haven't seen the movie we will hopefully describe it in detail uh so that you'll feel like you watched it and maybe that is the proper way uh, to consume the movie. Uh, I don't know. We'll let you don't make worry. up your decision. You don't have that. to now. <laughs> <laughs> there will be spoilers. We, are, we don't have to. Yes, we, we freed you from that. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, uh, go watch the movie and then come back and watch it. But it might be best to just stay here and hang out with us. It might be a more enjoyable uh, time. But we'll, we'll talk about all the good and the bad of buttons and review it thoroughly i'm sure well before we get into our film discussion we need to get to the news so this episode will actually be supergirl radio supergirl wow my god yes supergirl radios <laughs> Oh, I don't know why I couldn't do the possessive. Uh, you know this podcast. It's Supergirl Radio. Uh, and it, this episode will be our last of 2022. Uh, but we will return with brand new live streams and audio podcast episodes on January 17th. So 2023. That is yeah. next year. But yes. Honestly, a month from now. So we're <laughs> we're taking off the holiday season. Uh, and in that time, I'm going to learn to say the name of 
our podcast. <laughs> that, that sounds uh, real productive. Uh, see, I thought I was coming on Supergirls Radio. Supergirls Radio, you know. <laughs> Super you, know how she, you know how she loved that radio. <laughs> it, it, right next to Streaky, it was her favorite uh, object about the size of a bread box. <laughs> so uh, we just wanted to let everybody know why you might not see episodes during the Christmas, New Year's holiday is because we're not making any. Uh, so so we'll, we'll be back in 2023. I don't know if y'all have been having this uh, uh, here lately, but I've been having to write and type out 2023 and it's weird. Weird. I, I'm not used to it. Yet. I don't think I care for it. <laughs> I just don't write years. It's like a standing policy. That way I never get confused. Yes. Uh, so you, we'll... you just live in the present. <laughs> I present, man. I don't have time for years, months, days. I'm just here and now. Yeah. So the year is whatever you want it to be. Uh, so uh, so we will, we will be back next year. Uh, starting in, in January of 2023. Well, that is going to do it for our news section. So I think we should uh, go ahead and get started talking about our our latest Katie McGrath Christmas movie that we have all watched. And uh, I, I made a little intro. I thought it'd be fun to Ooh. put us like, I mean, it's, just, right. it's, a, it's a little something, but it's yeah, not like do it. Katie McGrath specific. It's just like Christmassy, <laughs> but hopefully it'll kind of get you in the mood to talk about a Christmas movie. See, it wasn't that much. I liked it. It really wasn't that much. I was headbanging as I was going for a drink, though, and I almost like spilled the entire drink <laughs> all over me. So if that was your girl, Rebecca, it worked. Okay, good. Uh, all right. So uh, I should have warned you that it was seven seconds long. And then if you, might, if you had to go somewhere with that, you could have uh, gone and come back. Uh, but we are going to be talking about uh, buttons. Uh, we're going to call it buttons until we discuss the different titles. The, the, the one that we settled on for the... Uh, the podcast information is Buttons a Christmas Tale, but we'll we'll talk about the different titles for this movie. Uh, but the IMDb description of Buttons says, quote, follow the heartwarming journey, heartwarming journey of two orphan girls whose only wish is to find a home for Christmas. With a little help from their guardian angels, played by Dick Van Dyke and Dame Angela Lansbury. I I kind of didn't know she was a dame, but that's good to know. All uh, right. She, sh- she should have been, even if she wasn't. Uh, they discover miracles can happen when you believe. Unquote. Yes, is Bill, she sorry. A dame or is she like an old-fashioned, like, 1940s? Hey, that's a dame over She's here. a dame. <laughs> uh, no, I feel like maybe she was damed by... The queen, I'm guessing, is mm. is that how that works? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know anymore. But uh, as of a couple Aww. months ago, yeah. okay, oh. it's, it's too, too, too <laughs> soon. Too <laughs> soon. <laughs> uh, but yes, so uh, this is about uh, guardian angels and orphan girls. That description is pretty accurate. I feel like this film came out. Uh, it was released on December eighth, twenty eighteen, and uh, I found out when I was doing a little digging on this uh, movie because I had a lot of questions. And a lot of confusion so i, oh, I have tried so to many do, yeah uh so uh i found out that the proceeds of the box office went towards kate winslet's autism cha- uh, charitable Aww. organization uh the golden hat foundation uh so that actually there's a lot of uh kate winslet connections to, to this movie uh, which that explains some things honestly yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So oh, that explains a lot of things, I think, to me, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so that's actually, uh, you know, no matter what you feel about buttons, no matter what you think about <laughs> buttons, it went it, money went to a good cause. Did a little good in this world. Buttons did. <laughs> yeah. 
So uh, I guess to start us off, uh, just to get us all on the same page about what this movie <laughs> is. Uh, so like Katie McGrath's other Christmas movie, A Princess for Christmas, Buttons seemingly has three different titles that I could find. And I guess this is just different in terms of the metadata when they package up these movies to send them to different platforms. But there are different titles for this uh movie oh so i i really want to know which one of these morgan and bill yeah. do you like the best which one do you think is the most appropriate so we have buttons a christmas tale which mm-hmm. is what we went with for supergirl radio buttons a christmas miracle or buttons a new musical film so mm-hmm. uh more uh, <laughs> i guess we'll start with bill since he's the guest yeah, and yeah. the uh katie mcgrath christmas movie correspondent <laughs> Uh, which which title would you pick if you had to pick a, a title for Buttons? Well, I'm going to cut Buttons a Christmas Miracle immediately because, I mean, yeah, there was some kind of miraculous supernatural stuff happening, but there wasn't any, like, extreme, like, miracle that happened hmm. in it. Like, no one, you know, rose from the dead or, you know. Oh, that would have made this movie great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a new musical film, one of my notes is saying how old-fashioned of a musical this is, where there's not, it's, they're not singing the subtext, they're just singing about an activity that they're doing. So I think, <laughs> yeah, so, so I think I have to, I have to pick up Buttons of Christmas Tale. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a good choice. And I appreciate your argument for that position. Uh, Morgan, what is your <laughs> choice for the title for buttons? Yeah, I agree. I feel like the, uh, we'll talk about this later, but, uh, buttons, a new musical film. I, for long stretches of the film, forgot it was a musical. So <laughs> that one's not going to fly for me. Uh, <laughs> buttons, a Christmas miracle. You could make a case for it, but I feel like, listen, what is buttons? It's a Christmas tale. That's what it is. That's, it, it ain't trying to be anything fancy. It's not some new musical film. What's an old musical? Film? It's, it's just an old. It's just an old Christmas tale. Yeah. Um. I. I don't. I mean. I would disagree with you, Bill, about not having a miracle in it. I do think there is divine intervention that happens with the guardian angels saving Annabelle from the uh, freezy uh, freezing water. So there is a miracle in the film, uh, but it wasn't, um, I, I don't know. There there's, there's something to be said about how there, there's a whole tagline for this movie about how believing is the next great adventure or whatever they say. And I don't know that Annabelle really, believed in that moment did she really earn that miracle i I, and maybe maybe we're just gonna get into it but uh but i think you have to have a moment where the character really believes about something to to earn that and she really didn't she was just kind of dying and drowning and then the guardian angel saved her so i don't think that was really the miracle was earned as much so i guess i would go with buttons a christmas tale i think it's it it says what it is it's (laughs) said during christmas it's a story and there's a there's a there's a button in there. <laughs> there's so, some buttons. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I guess I would literally Angela Lansbury telling a Christmas tale. True, yeah. true. So yeah, I think a buttons a Christmas tale. I think everybody is correct. Uh, maybe that is the best one uh, to 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 justify the the title for that uh, film. So yeah, it's it's button a, buttons a Christmas tale on Amazon. It's buttons a Christmas miracle on YouTube. And then it's Buttons, a new musical film on IMDb. So you can pick whatever uh, title that you want. Really, it's up to you. Uh, One thing I also, since we talked about the uh, Princess for Christmas movie posters. uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
I thought maybe we could also uh, talk about the the buttons posters and get get a get a feel for what y'all think about them. All right, yeah, let's get into this. All right, yeah. so so Bill, um, uh, I guess we could describe the posters. Uh, Morgan, if you would like to tell the audio listeners kind oh, yeah. of the two different versions of the posters, and then we'll talk about which one uh, everybody uh, likes better. Um, okay, I'll I'll try to paint a, a word picture here. <laughs> uh, so in uh in one of the buttons uh, posters, the uh the O in buttons is a button. Now I think that is very clever. Now that <laughs> is present in the other one, but it's mm-hmm. it's not like a straight on button. It's like a sideways button. It's yeah. like a thinker. It's yeah. a thinker of a button. Okay, so I just straight out of the gate, I'm giving it to the one the poster on the left. I guess yes. Um. The one straight on. Yes. It, we, we've got uh, we've got Angela Lansbury in there. We've got, um, oh, my gosh. How am I forgetting? Oh, Dick Van Dyke. Dick, Dick Van, Dyke. Van Dyke. Oh, my God. I was like, how am I forgetting Dick Van Dyke? We've got Dick Van Dyke in his little straw hat. They're both really excited to be, like, looking down on this family that's hugging. And, and both like, parents eventually die. Both parents are alive. <laughs> that's kind of, they're kind of leading you in the wrong direction on this poster. <laughs> Don't get too attached to most of those characters. And only like a third of the way through the movie, too. It's not like they're like they're they're there and they're gone, basically. Papa. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's like some like magical Christmassy background in the background. Uh, the other poster, it's a little darker. It's a little more in line with the darkness at but at the heart of buttons. Uh, <laughs> Dick Van Dyke is kind of he's smiling, but in a way that's like a little bit scary and like looking down at everybody. It's Angela, not the best picture of him. It's not the best. Angela, he doesn't have have his jaunty uh, straw hat no. on so uh-uh. uh so it's a little bit like whoa what's that guy up to <laughs> angela lansbury she has her hat but she's not as like not as mischievous as on the other cover and then they just have like every person who's in this movie uh <laughs> Uh, just like very tiny like if you squint it you could kind of see so there's her dad he's gonna die there's her mom she's gonna die uh, Jane, if you squint and kind of look sideways you can tell that Jane Seymour is in this movie randomly for some reason uh, and then Katie McGraw is like really she's up there she's up there right by Angela Lansbury where she belongs uh, and she is looking evil like she wants to bully an orphan and so I mean I'm not trying to, to lead anybody in a direction on which poster is better. I do feel like one poster does give you more of the vibe of this movie. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that case. Uh, Bill, which one do you think is a, a better poster? Well, it's hard because like the one on the left, the one that's just very basic with uh, Dick Van Dyke and Angela Lansbury and the family, it reminds me very much of an old like Disney VHS DVD cover. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The one on the right is more like a, I don't know, like a Marvel epic, like <laughs> Avengers, <laughs> Avengers buttons. <laughs> We've got them all here. That would make Dick Van Dyke, Tony Stark, and Angela <laughs> Lansbury, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Actually, considering that, I'm going to have to go with the one on the right, the Marvel one. <laughs> yeah, 
I I like I like the the logo and the tagline of the one on the right with all the people, but I have a real big problem of putting every single person on a poster. <laughs> they don't all need to be there. It's not all about them. But, and then but on the Rebecca, top, did you know that believing is the greatest adventure of all? <laughs> well, it says so right on the poster. So now now I know. Now I have that information. And also there's like every single person who's in the film, like their cat, their names are up on the top. So just in case you didn't know who all those people were in the poster you could maybe figure it out it's just too much i like i like the vot like the aesthetic of the blue and i like the logo of buttons but it's too much so i wish i could combine them a little bit but so i don't really have i think they're both terrible but yeah, uh, <laughs> neither one's great but i will say like the one on the left I think it's a little bit better. I like it's like it does look like an old VHS uh, set, but it doesn't tell like it. It's going to give you the wrong idea of what buttons a Christmas tale is going to be like. Yeah, like I know that I one looks that one looks like a fun, jazzy time. And then you're going to get like 10 minutes in and the first person's going to drop and you're going to be like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, it maybe should have just been the Guardian Angels and Annabelle on the poster. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think the one on the one on the left uh, looks kind of like it could could be like a, a family drama about the, this family and the grandparents or something. It does look <laughs> yeah, like it, yeah. grandma and grandpa are moving in, you know. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they they're not really reflective of what the uh, the movie is about. <laughs> no. I I also have questions, and and maybe y'all know more about this guy than I do, but everything when. Like when you watch the movie and in this poster, everything has Tim Janice on the top of buttons. Tim Janice is the man who directed this movie. Um, why does he get his name above the the movie title? I, this I, is this is his first movie that he ever directed. This yeah. is not like Christopher Nolan or like Tim Burton <laughs> or Zack Snyder or Alfred Hitchcock. Not somebody with like, I, you know, yeah. visionary status, you know, an auteur filmmaker. It's like his first movie and he's he's putting his name above everything. A giant no stage and screen. <laughs> no disrespect to the Tim Janis, to this man. But I just don't know how he was able to pull that off. Like you have Dick Van Dyke. Angela Lansbury, Kate Winslet's associated with this. And this guy, this first time filmmaker, he's got his name above everything that says buttons. I just don't. Maybe he's maybe he's somebody I don't know. I maybe maybe, maybe he financed it and he was like, like, OK, I, I put, you know, fifty thousand dollars or whatever they ended up paying. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. On the poster. Yeah. Maybe I, he yeah. maybe he gave a lot to uh, Kate Winslet's foundation. He's like, listen, I, I, I bankrolled this uh, film myself. I put in the $300 that it cost to make this thing. <laughs> and I'm putting my name on, I'm putting my name on the lights. Now, I did look him up on Wikipedia, the most trustworthy of sources. Book and of knowledge, it, yes. it does, <laughs> the book of knowledge. Uh, and it does say that in 2012, he produced the American Christmas Carol concert for Kate Winslet's Golden Hat Foundation. So, uh, yeah. Him and him and K Katie KDW go way back. Uh, <laughs> so I wonder if he was just like, you know what would be great if my name was like right there and Kate was like loving that. <laughs> I just I just thought it was bold of it, it was uh, a, Mr. Tim Janice to put his were, name on everything. There were a lot of choices in this movie that I thought were bold. <laughs> To, to be that insistent on putting his name on this thing. He, cl yeah. he, he claimed this movie. Mm, he mm -hmm. said, this this uh, was my movie that good I for made. Him. 
that's that's confidence. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've we've made our calls on the title and the poster. I think we're ready to go to to marketing. I think we could really sell this poster <laughs> if we had this movie if we had to. So I guess let's get into the content, actually, the the material behind this uh, cinematic experience that we all had. Uh, so um, the first thing that I wanted to ask you all about is uh, the genre choice for Buttons. Buttons is a new film musical, new musical film. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I was curious what you thought about the the choice to make it a musical. Uh, did it work as a musical? Did it need to be a musical? Uh, what are your thoughts, Bill, on that aspect? Uh while I enjoyed the songs and they were very pleasant, the story by no means hung on them at all. And I, 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 you could have made it not a musical, but I guess, you know, when you cast Dick Van Dyke in something, he's going to want to sing. He's going to want to dance. He's going to want to maybe have like a couple fun moments with a really, uh, really vibrant co-star like the little girl <laughs> uh, who played, was it Annabelle, I think? Yes, yes. Yeah. He, he sang and danced with Annabelle several times. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a very interesting, and like I said, you know, it's not, it's not a traditional musical in the way that traditional musicals are good. It's more <laughs> of like a showcase musical, uh, sort of like a, uh, I don't know, like, a, oh, what's the one with the bingo hall? I, I don't know, but you, you know what I mean, though. It's like, it's like one of those like uh, musicals they put on in town for all the 50 and 60 year olds to go to and listen to all the songs they used to listen to, you know? Yes. A little dinner theater, maybe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I, I was really confused by like the musical stuff, if my memory serves me, doesn't like start right away. No. And then suddenly a baby's dying and someone's singing. <laughs> And I thought, weird, weird choice to begin. Yes. The singing. Uh -huh. um, artistic, uh, for sure. <laughs> and then, uh, but I agree with Bill. I don't think that, like, any of the songs really added much to the to the movie. And again, I think I said this earlier, I forgot for large stretches of th this movie that it was a musical. So each <laughs> song, in its way, it kind of was a new movie musical for me because each song <laughs> hit me with a wave of surprise. Right. I thought, this is a musical. I forgot. Um <laughs> Here we are in this. See, when I went into this, I don't know if I, I had enough awareness that it was a musical. So when that first song came on, I was just like, okay, well, it's not advertised as a musical. Is this the only song in the movie about the baby dying? Oh, my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> just like in the entire movie, like just the song about the baby dying and then no one sings the rest of the movie. And then no one sings again. <laughs> Everybody just had sort of like a fever dream at the beginning of the movie, and <laughs> stop the, the, the music stops when the baby dies. Yeah, that would be oh, that would be grim. Uh, yeah, I had the same experience. I kind of had remembered that it had musical in one of the titles, but I had forgotten that it was supposed to be a musical. So when he starts singing in that scene, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a musical. Uh, so and and it's weird because they have a couple of songs, and then at some point in the movie. They don't sing anymore. For yeah, like a long, long time. Like it just long stops. stretch without um, music at all. And yeah, I don't like. I don't even the, think there's like a song to close it out. Kids, they have all those worker kids sing, and then they don't sing anymore. I gotta okay. say, the only banger in this movie was like the like it child labor really sucks. <laughs> that song was great. I was I was like, that's right. Power to the people. Unionize <laughs> children. <laughs> 
I, I would agree. That was probably the best one. It, it had the, uh, the most uh, uh, interesting uh, visuals that went along with it as well. Yeah, I think it was kind of strange the way they did it because most musicals that I can think of start off with music. Uh, mm -hmm. I rewatched uh, Chicago recently, and that one starts off kind of right off the gate with all that jazz. Um, recently, you know, I was I've been in an enchanted mood since Disenchanted came out. Enchanted starts with uh, music. Sound of music starts with music. Um, so, like normally, musicals will tell you right out the gate, like this this mm -hmm. is what you're in for. People are going to be singing and dancing in this <laughs> thing, and uh, it didn't. And I don't even think it uh, ends with music. No, so no, uh, no. it's very strange. So uh, my my thing was, uh, if you're going to make it a musical, make music more of a priority. Uh, but it didn't seem to. So I don't know that it needed to be a musical specifically. Yeah, it was also a little bit weird to me that like it's a musical. I don't feel like she ever had like an I want song. Like that's sort of a no. uh, like a hallmark of musicals, right? Is like the the main character like sings about like their dream and she i mean she sang about like yeah being in a factory is terrible <laughs> and and she sang like sometimes i like to smile um but <laughs> the songs were a little bit like hodgepodge i don't really i didn't really understand why they started happening why they stopped happening it was all just like a thing that was happening to me as i watched this movie <laughs> yeah generally uh in a musical when they're singing they're supposed to be singing the subtext in this one they were singing the text for the most part the text or something completely unrelated like uh uh, one of those Dick Van Dyke songs. It, it was just like, it, it had nothing to do with the plot and not even really where the character was. It was just a fun song with dancing and you know <laughs> yeah. people jumping in and everything, crowd cheering. But why is this in this musical? Yeah, I mean, it was cute. I'm not going to knock the merit yeah. of, uh, you know, oh, yeah. the, the singing and the dancing. The, the little girl playing Annabelle was really cute with, you know, her interactions with Dick Van Dyke. And they had a a good little back and forth and they had a little Mary Poppins homage with him sort of dancing with this marionette penguin. Like it was, it was kind of, it was cute, but it yeah. didn't really further the story and the characters. Uh, Cause I, I thought that that whole sequence, I, I kind of remember the lyrics, but not much, but it was kind of talking about like hope and seeing things in the sunnier side of life, that kind of thing that never becomes a trait of Annabelle. Annabelle is like a really <laughs> sad kid. Her dad <laughs> dies. Her mom dies. She she hides the little uh, music box that her dad gives her and just like hides it away and never sees it. Again. She never looks at it again. And then she has to go work in this uh, mill for a while. And she's bullied by these other kids like she never looks on the sunnier side of life. <laughs> and so I don't know why that song is in the movie, because it never does anything to further her character, or grow her character in any way. So it, it's a it's a strange choice. I will say. Yeah. Um, well, uh, in terms, this is kind of going along with that. So there was an interesting, uh, a unique, I should say, well, maybe not unique. I guess it's been done before, but uh, I was sort of surprised by the writing structure of this movie. <laughs> so it's like a, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a story within a story. So you have to uh, follow along with who is telling the story and who the story is about. Uh, so, Bill, I was curious, since you are a writer and you're a really you and Morgan are writers. I'm not a writer, uh, but uh, you all are great writers. So I, I think I'm asking the right people this question. Uh, so what did you think about the writing structure and how they were telling the story? 
Uh, first of all, based on the show docs I received from you all the time, Rebecca, you were definitely a writer. That's oh, very true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it was an interesting framing device. But I, I agree with you, Rebecca, that it was it was kind of confusing at first. Like, I wasn't sure where we were, where we were. Like, maybe it was in the direction. Maybe the writing in the script, it was clear uh, that, you know, how they were setting things up. But I found myself the first especially the first 15 or 20 minutes of the movie. Okay, who's the main character here? Wait, what are we paying attention to? What's the conflict going on? And while Angela Lansbury was great and everything, I, th I think throwing her in like that kind of just confused things. It would have been better if I was writing it, I would have put her in as like a secondary character, kind of like Dick Van Dyke that would pop in to help Annabelle here or there guide the story along. Yeah, she, uh, I guess to clarify for people who have not watched the movie, uh, Angela Lansbury is one of the guardian angels. She and Dick Van Dyke uh, help these two little girls. And so uh, uh, Angela Lansbury comes in to kind of a like a orphanage hospital, something or other. And, hospital, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, starts reading a story, a fairy tale uh, to this little girl. And the, the tale, the Christmas tale is about Annabelle and the horrible life that she has to live up until the point where she almost drowns and, uh, <laughs> stumbles upon a, a church. Uh, so, uh, so that is kind of Angela Lansbury's, uh, part in it. She's the guardian angel telling the story. Uh, so Morgan, what were your thoughts on the uh, story structure and how they, they told it in this movie? Yeah, I don't I don't know that I had put together like I had thought too deeply about the fact that she's telling this poor little orphan, a sick little orphan girl, a story in which another poor little orphan girl's life just gets progressively worse and worse. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, kid, I know that you think your life is bad, but are you working in a factory? <laughs> Maybe we should be looking on the silver linings. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I thought the story, I agree with Bill 100%. I think the story structure is weird. Like it's kind of, it's got a little bit of the princess bride type story structure. Yep. But in mm -hmm. that movie, at least like the story is always a story. And in this one, like the story comes to present day, spoiler alert, at the end. <laughs> and it's like, it's me, Buttons. I'm all grown up. <laughs> I'm ready to adopt another orphan. And um, and I was like, oh, okay, Buttons is here. Great. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, I don't know that it needed that. It, it felt like it added like needless levels of confusion to this movie that I was already pretty confused at like there was a sudden singing oh it's a musical there's like the weird uh the weird story structure where it's like a story within a story within a story like a uh turducken of a tale <laughs> that we're experiencing i just there were it was like you know they, they say gilding the lily like they just needed to take like a couple throw everything out there and then just pull a couple things back i think it's like the the chanel way of dressing right take a couple yeah. take a couple accessories off that's what they needed to do. <laughs> yeah, you brought up uh, the Princess Bride. I think the biggest difference there is that uh, the, uh, you know, Fred Savage, the little boy and his grandfather, they are like in the present day in the real world. And they're telling a story of this fictional, you know, uh, princess and uh, the Dread Pirate, Pirate, Pirate Roberts and all that. That's all like existing within the story. So it's not it's not the same thing. Whereas in Buttons, it's almost the same story in the <laughs> Christmas tale as in the story, like in the present yeah. day. So it gets yeah. a little confusing. Um, and I it's was also, also like, like, as you go through, you're like, why is she telling this poor child this story? Like it's, <laughs> 
it's not a fun story. It's like, I know that like, you're really sick. Um, but, uh, you know, this woman, this, this little kid's mother died from like cotton lung. <laughs> what don't tell a child that she's already <laughs> sick like let her just take a nap then <laughs> well i guess there was a benefit to telling her that story because in the end buttons does get adopted by a, a great family and she now has this cushy life with these rich people uh and <laughs> apparently has many many other adopted brothers and sisters uh, i guess this this family can afford to have 15 they just, children they just adopted all the children from the factory <laughs> mill <laughs> yeah so i guess there there is the um the happy ending that uh, a, a sick child in an orphanage hospital would Maybe fine, comforting, but uh, it is a strange structure. Bill, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, like, a, a lot of times, like, I like to think of it. Some other people probably have this rule, too. I don't know if any of them are successful. But I always say, you know, you never make uh, the audience do more than one or two, like, logical hops to get a joke or a plot line or anything. And this one, in the first 10 minutes... I had to do like seven hops and connect them and like, like the conspiracy board up there. (laughs) What's going on, man? They they did too much. It is. It feels to me like they were, this thing was noted to death and they were like, well, you know, we need the, we need stars in it. So why don't we get Angela Lansbury and Dick Van Dyke? Oh, who could they play? I, I don't know. Guardian Angels, I guess. Well, how do we get them in the story? Oh, Angela Lansbury could be telling the girl a story like she told Chip a story in Beauty and the Beast. And mm. Dick Van Dyke could dance with her <laughs> like he did it in everything else. Uh, you know, so I, can, I can see where they got there, but I think it was a bad decision. <laughs> yeah. And I was also I, I was curious what y- y'all's thoughts were on it in terms of the story structure is that the movie starts and ends with voiceovers of two actors who are not actually in the film. So, uh, Bill, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, do you have any thoughts about the correct usage or usage of voiceovers? Were you confused about who the people were talking? Cause I was, uh, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, uh, interested in your thoughts on the voiceover usage. I think using voiceover as a framing device works really, really great. Um, when you don't have another framing device already in the movie, which uh. is Angela <laughs> the story. So it's, it's like, if you're going to do that, sure. But have Angela Lansbury being the one reading, reading the framing device stuff. And I don't know, just so many weird decisions that ended up leaving me as an audience member, a little bit confused. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like I, I agree with what Bill said. It felt like they were like, you know what, this is going to be a star studded spectacle. And somebody was like, Oh, cool. Like we can get uh like Kate Winslet's gonna be in this movie. Well, she said she she can't be like in the movie, but we can find a spot for her and then we can put her on the poster. And they're like, Oh, cool. And they're like, Oh, Robert Redford also said that he'd, you know, give us a voice memo. Sweet, get him in. And it's like every time, um uh, again, spoiler alert, but late in the movie. Jane Seymour pops up and I went to my I like literally out loud watching it by myself Mike would not watch this one with me <laughs> fair uh, I said Jane Seymour <laughs> it's like, she's barely in the movie she she like 
Uh, maybe she has like 10 lines. That would be generous. It's probably five. Uh, and it's just like, why is Jane Seymour playing like, you know, lady who sits in church pew? But it's like, <laughs> we got Jane Seymour. <laughs> so when you on the from the outside, you're looking at the cast going, oh, that's a pretty stacked cast. This is probably going to be quite a film. And then you get in, you're like, oh. <laughs> well, remember everything went to charity, so maybe they were doing it, you know, to contribute to the the foundation. Because I, I will say, the entire time, the entire movie, I went, "How did they get?" And then I would insert a name of a random person who showed up into this movie. How did, <laughs> how did they get Angela Lansbury in this? How did they get Jane Seymour? How did they even get Katie McGraw in this? Uh, and once I found, once you said it was for like a charity. I was like, oh, it all snapped together because, you know, they probably got the script and they were like, I don't know. And then they were like, but Katie, wait, Katie, wait, first off, you get to bully an orphan. I know that's going to be a plus. <laughs> and secondly, it's for charity. And Katie was like, all right, get me my get me my black bullying gown. <laughs> I, yeah. I, like how, like, I like how her character's motivation was. Oh, she's going to make us look bad, even though, like, we sent her far, far away where no one's ever going to talk to her ever. Oh, I know. Look bad. Let's kill her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we move on, because I think we should talk about Katie and some of the, her uh, character's choices in <laughs> the, the movie here. Uh, Aaron in the chat says, uh, with how connected it, uh, it was, it actually felt very separated. I think that's a, a good way to put that. Uh, in terms of the story structure and the way that they uh, told the story. Well, um, uh, so let's talk about Katie McGraw in this movie because she she pops up as a, a, a rich, wicked stepsister, uh, apparently, uh, for the mother of Annabelle. So Annabelle is a little girl. Her mother uh, dies. And so uh, Katie McGrath comes into the picture as uh, being the next person to make decisions for Annabelle. So, uh, Bill, what did you think as the Katie McGrath Christmas movie correspondent <laughs> for Supergirl Radio? What did you think about Katie McGrath and her performance in the movie? Uh, I think that it's amazing that the sets are still standing with how much scenery she chewed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she was. She was like a Disney stepmother, like cranked up to 11 and maybe on <laughs> methamphetamine or something like seriously, like she was she was very wicked. And I, I'll say all the best ways like like you, you kind of want a in a story like this, it's really cheesy anyway. You want a mustache twirly kind of villain. And while she doesn't have a mustache, she definitely had that sort of, you know, air about her. Yeah, I think uh, she was pretty convincing uh, for the part she was playing. So, Morgan, what did you think? You know, we've talked about Katie McGrath and her acting ability uh, on Supergirl, but uh, it's it's nice to see her in other projects. So what did you think <laughs> about her her performance this time around? Oh, 100% chef's kiss on this. Like, <laughs> K Katie McGraw was the only one aware of, like, the kind of movie that she was in. <laughs> I will say that, like, you know how you know how people were like, they understood the assignment. Mm -hmm. This was Katie McGraw, 100%. She was like, got it. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to chew the scenery. I'm going to be deliciously evil. Uh, she was just having fun with it. Like, every scene that Katie McGraw was in, like, the, the movie kind of came to life for me. Yeah. Like, yeah, she was an evil character, but she was having so much fun. I was like, anytime that the scene would transition away from Katie, I'd go, no, no, Katie, come back. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, please. Uh, because, again, to, to Bill's point, 
her um her storyline didn't make any sense, right? Like um not at all. She was like her <laughs> whole her whole driving thing was like oh these this uh my stepsister is going to make me look bad. And then who I presume I at first thought was her butler and later came slowly to the realization that this was likely her husband. I think so, yes. And I was like, "Oh, did not see that coming. That was the big twist for me. <laughs> in the he, he, he seemed to be uh, older than yeah. her, so like, it was confusing. Much older. Nobody at any any point said anything that would lead you to believe that he was, like, the husband. And, and then you're like, oh, he's the husband. But he goes, like, you know, it's not going to be a big deal for us to just, like, float them in the house. And, like, that'll keep them out of our hair. And she's like, no, no. Poverty for them. And he's <laughs> He's like, I think that's going to make us look quite bad. She's like, no, nah, it's going to be awesome. And uh, and then like later in the movie, she's like, if they see this little orphan child and they know that this orphan child is my, you know, is my niece, it's going to make us look really bad. We have to send her to the factory. And he's like, hey, again, I don't know that that's the right. She's like, Shh, to the factory. Uh, and then her whole storyline is about being obsessed with this one family that is fancier than her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, uh, that family adopts little buttons. Uh, <laughs> at no point does does evil Katie McGraw come back into the picture. Yeah, I was she, waiting. she doesn't get like a comeuppance yeah. in any way. There, what was the point of that character besides saving my sanity as I watched this movie? Because <laughs> I don't understand. It was just like, oh, we need we need someone evil to like be the cause of all buttons misfortune. Uh, <laughs> and it was a it was a, a good pal, Katie. But then at the end of the movie, there's yeah, there's no comeuppance for her. There's no repercussions for like how she treated her niece. And so it's like her whole storyline about being like really paranoid that this family was going to find out. There's no payoff for that. Yeah, it, it, at least Jane Seymour could like rubbed it in her face or something. Yeah, you know? uh, Jane Seymour have... could have been like, "We love our little buttons." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, Morgan? Since you you were talking about her character, I'm curious about what you think. And, and Bill, if if you have any thoughts, please uh, chime in. But uh, Morgan, do you think that uh, it, evil Katie McGrath in this movie? sent them to the mill knowing that they would probably get sick and die. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think that I think it was part of the calculus. She was like, listen, they can't know that like my, my stepsister is a poor. Um, <laughs> so, so instead of just like floating this, like very, probably very cheap household, I'm going to send them to the mill. And then like, you know, the mill is uh, the, the factory will do its job. Like wink, wink, Wink. Uh, because <laughs> when they first take uh, L- uh, Annabelle, I guess was is her technical name. She's buttons to me. Uh, <laughs> when they take little buttons into the uh, the new boarding house, there's like a lady, like legit, straight up dying, um, and her kids are all around her, like mama. And uh, <laughs> and the lady who's showing them around is like, oh yeah, she's got the old cotton lung. She's not long for this world. <laughs> and then like it zooms in on the mom, and you're like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Katie McGrath's character uh, calls uh, the the working ability the gift of self reliance. Uh, so I think it was kind of uh, she she wanted to make it seem like she was being charitable uh, to give them a job, but I, I think probably she knew uh, what she was sending them to. Uh, Bill, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, yeah. I don't. 
Well, I <laughs> I think it is uh, safe to assume, though, she knew about the mill and the inner workings of it. Um, and speaking yeah. of uh, Button's name, Morgan, do you want to bring up uh, Aaron's comment about uh, Buttons? Yeah, Aaron points out her being named Buttons isn't even really revisited more than once when she was being bullied, which is funny because it's the name of the movie. Yeah. And I expect it like way more of like somebody named buttons in it to be honest i feel like i was uh i was robbed uh and yeah they like they call her buttons uh because all she can do is sew on buttons that's her only skill and she's not very good at it um and uh but they only do it like in like one or two scenes i think that's the most that she gets called buttons it's pretty late in the movie bill how bill is a writer how would you have maybe incorporated buttons as a name or um well i think you know maybe some whatever solution she found to get out of uh, this situation she was in, if it involved buttons, if she was like, or like she, having to sew, sew them so she could use her skill. Yeah. Or like she could make like a fine dress for the, uh, well, not the queen, but whatever that would be in this society. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of figure. And, you know, then she gets whisked away to a better life or something like mm. that. Like, I was very, cause I don't know if I actually picked up that her nickname was buttons. I thought buttons was the toy dog. Oh, that would have also made sense. That could have yeah. made some sense, yeah, because that it, was like an emotional connection to her mother that she she had. Mm-hmm. That would have been yeah. meaningful. It, so, so the toy dog though, the toy dog was representative of a real dog, right? Yes, but she doesn't have that dog until she's dead and almost in heaven. Is okay. how I interpreted that. I think she wanted a dog, and her mom was like, "We're too poor." for a dog uh but here's this little (laughs) here's this little like uh porcelain dog a great a porcelain is a great gift for a child um (laughs) 10 10 (laughs) recommend fully uh i also thought like that little porcelain dog that thing was indestructible because the bullies Mm -hmm. like knock it onto the floor and i was like oh no that thing's gonna shatter it didn't i was like oh good good for that dog (laughs) um superior worksmanship and then they stomp on it Still, the dog is fine. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was destroyed when she stepped on it, but then she gives it back to her later. And it's completely fine it's when fine. she gives it back. <laughs> yeah, I was a little confused about the uh, the drowning scene because <laughs> I almost, I know this sounds so terrible, but I almost was upset when the guardian angel saves her because like Annabelle's had, <laughs> Annabelle's had this terrible, terrible, terrible life. And then when she's drowning, she has all these flashes of like her mother and her father and like, walking this dog on this beautiful sunny day finally she gets a dog and she's like having all these beautiful moments in that moment and then he takes her out of that i was like you know she was she was having she was having a good time in this like uh maybe this uh moment before she dies or as she's dying like let her have this she's had a tough life so it was a i i was it was a bittersweet moment for me when the guardian angel saved her life so, so uh, to bring it back to Supergirl just briefly, you would argue for Mongols like uh, Black Mercy thing. Yeah, go ahead and let him st- them stay. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, that, I mean, that's tough because you know you want Supergirl to be happy, but uh, but I guess I guess that is a fair comparison. And An- Annabelle's, but maybe if Annabelle died and she went to heaven, she'd have all that stuff. Why would you, why would you, uh, that's a whole other thing. She finally gets a dog. She Bill. finally gets a dog. <laughs> In the afterlife, she gets a dog. Uh, but I guess. name is Dick Van Dyke. Uh, but, I, but I guess she's getting to have all of that with the Browning family when they, 
when they adopt her, she'll she'll finally get to have those things. So I guess it was good that the guardian angel uh, saved her life. Uh, but yeah, the buttons nickname wasn't very prominent. It it, it maybe no. should have been. Uh, it almost no. could have also been like a nickname her parents gave her or something a little more meaningful than just being bullied that one time in the mill. I think that <laughs> that probably should have stuck around a little more. Um, and I guess we could answer a question for, uh, I think it was new Rachel in the chat who asks, does Katie sing? Uh, uh so I who, wish. <laughs> <laughs> so Morgan, do you, do you, do you think, uh, Katie should have had a moment uh, I, it, at some point with her character. I feel like this this movie was definitely missing like a, a classic Disney villain song, right? Mm, like, yeah. a, like a poor unfortunate souls. Like, and, I, <laughs> and Katie would have eaten. Uh, she would have eaten that up for dinner. She would have. <laughs> <laughs> she would have served a, a quite quite a villain song. I think in this movie. Yeah, maybe instead of just talking about how she was going to send little Annabelle to the mill, maybe that should have been the song about how yeah. she's going to. Yeah, could have been a whole like, song. Little girl should work. Little girls should work real hard. Yeah, so, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah and that could could that probably could have connected with the kids in the mill, like singing about oh, how yeah. horrible it was. It yeah, been like a partial reprise of that somewhere in the yeah. That's yeah, a, yeah, I love that. <laughs> Uh, but no, Katie uh, McGrath does not sing in the musical movie. Uh, so it's a disappointment for all of us, but uh, that that's the way that they went with it. Um, so uh, I also, one of the things I wanted to ask you all about, because uh, this is a Christmas tale. So uh, what did you think about the uh, the location, the time period, the uh, the setting that we were in, in terms of, uh, a Christmas setting. Did you? Did it feel uh, Christmassy enough for you, <laughs> Bill? Uh, what did you think about uh, the Christmas part of a Christmas tale? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for for one, it started with you know a star, uh, shooting star in the sky, which is you know the classic Christmas tale. Uh, but really, the costuming was really solid. Uh, the set decoration and the snow and everything really made it feel like Christmas. That being said, did they ever actually say anything about Christmas in the movie at all? Or was that church service at the end of Christmas? I yes. think it was, yeah. It was supposed to be yeah. like a Christmas Eve service, yeah. But yeah, it felt it felt like, a, you know, for a Christmas movie, there wasn't a whole lot of Christmas in it. There was, you know, positive messaging, Christmas spirit stuff in the way it all turned out, but it didn't really feel very Christmassy to me. Yeah, Morgan, <laughs> uh, your thoughts? Yeah, I felt like it was like like moderately Christmassy. There's like a sprinkle of Christmas on this movie, uh, but I felt like it was going more for like like a Dickens, like a like a very Dickens Christmas. It was like oh, yeah. I've read like a lot of they're they're like I've read a lot of Dickens, and <laughs> um, so now I'm just gonna kind of like um, AI version throw it into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we're just gonna see where that leads us because we have like orphans. He loves those. Uh, Christmas, also a thing. And then we get like a you know people being mistreated in a factory. So we've really got all the Dickens greats in here. Um, so Maybe I feel like it... <laughs> yes, terrible rich people. Um, so poor people, we... dead people, all the things that Dickens There's... loves the most. Yeah. Yeah, so I feel like I feel like it was Christmassy, but it was really like they read a Christmas carol and then they were like, oh man, this guy is crazy. And then they read all of his other stuff and they were like, 
yeah, I want it to be just like all of this. <laughs> you know what I thought was really weird was there's this one moment. It's uh, when Angela Lansbury is telling the story. She kind of like focuses in and she's like, you know, rich people have problems too. <laughs> really care about the rich people and their problems. You know, I know you're laying there on your deathbed. Rich people have problems too. I thought it was a really bizarre choice. We, we should all think about the rich people and what they're going through. If only, if only we thought more about the rich. <laughs> in the story about all these poor poppers working in the mills. In the, in, uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, there's a lot of winter time in this, uh, but there's also like a sequence about the 4th of July for some reason. Uh, oh, yeah, I so I, that. <laughs> I was a little confused about some of the, the setting aspects of this because I think it was set in America, but there were lots of, there were multiple characters who had like British accents Mm -hmm. and uh, of course, Katie McGrath, you know, you never know which accent she's going to go with. And (laughs) she's coming with whatever feels right (laughs) in the moment. (laughs) (laughs) So, so there were, I was very confused based on the accents and the characters and what they were doing. And then I was confused about like the, like when they were in time because there was the 4th of July thing. And then there was a Christmas thing. Uh, and I also, I, I don't know. I, I wondered if it was even taking place in America, but I think the 4th of July thing set us in America. So uh, I, I was having a tough time. I was very confused about the setting and the location and kind of the uh, aesthetics of the trying to in, visually symbolize where we were and what we were doing and when we were. So uh, I I wondered if I was the only person who had issues with that. I don't know. I thought it was pretty clear. It was set somewhere between the twenties and the fifties and somewhere (laughs) uh, probably in North America or Eastern Europe. I mean, pretty clear. Yeah. (laughs) So are we talking 1820s to 1850s or 1920s to 1950s? 1820s to 1950s. Okay. Sometime during that very short time period. (laughs) (laughs) yeah i also questioned i was like uh, the beginning of the movie seems like it's taking place in like the yeah like the 1950s sometime but then Mm -hmm. i was like but but buttons herself seems like she's from the 1800s but then at the end of the movie buttons is like 20 so i was like (laughs) i've got to rethink everything i thought i knew about buttons (laughs) (laughs) what what was it like in the 1920s and 1930s god the 1920s were wild They were they they seemed like they were still roughing it in this uh in the in the past timeline a little bit. Yeah. I was like, what I, I wanna know, I want a detailed timeline of when everything took place in this movie. I, I didn't see anybody doing the Charleston. Uh, no. So. <laughs> it, it, it's it's like Batman the animated series. It's set in a very vague the past. <laughs> yes. yes. It's it, timeless. It could be any time. Except they houses, but uh someone had a cell phone in the background. You know, it's it's yeah, it's, yeah. It's <laughs> her dad went out to sea and never on, came back. <laughs> on a ship we don't know what it looked like. Yeah, it was like it could have had right? sails, it could have been like engine run, like we don't have <laughs> who knows. When the mom goes to work to work at uh what I forget it was a laundry or something like that. It's like everyone who's working there, their husband died at sea. Why do you keep sending people out? <laughs> Why did he go? Why did he have to go? I don't think he had to go. What's going on at another sea? Job. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking initially when uh, they had the news of the dad dying at sea, because we never saw like him actually dying. I thought maybe oh. it was like a, like a red herring, like he would come back and then he never did. And I was like, 
Oh. Oh. So I guess he really did die. <laughs> I guess really... we're going to stick with that. <laughs> guess he really yeah. did die at sea. <laughs> I was expecting that to be like the last moment, kind of like the old Pippi Longstocking movie where her dad dies at sea and then comes back in in the last part of the last act. That's what I was waiting for, and it never happened. It was just well, like, no, he's dead. Well, it it's kind awful. of made me think of it also because he, there's this big moment in the scene where he's like, I give you this music box, and when you when you turn it and crank the music, you know, I'm going to hear it, and I'm always going to be with you, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I thought, like, the music box and the dad was going to come back into play in the end, and it never did. I was going to say, did that I, music box ever come back? It never did. It never did. Yeah, like 10 minutes later, I think it's even said just in a little piece of dialogue. Like in that she left it. Like Yeah, she hid it away. And I guess that <laughs> I guess that was to show like Annabelle was not a character, like she'd given up some hope and so she hid away all that stuff. But I kind of was left thinking, like, what was the point of that? Well, that's kind of how I felt about I think it's Angela Lansbury's case, uh character who's like, Oh, miracles can only happen when you believe. Yeah. And and then like little buttons fall through the ice and she's like, Oh, death. Thank you. I come to you. And <laughs> at no point does she like believe she never in, does in anything really. And then she gets saved. And I thought that she was going to have a moment where she was like, no, like life is worth living. And she was going to try to fight to the surface. And that was like her moment of belief. And instead she was just like going to sink like a stone. <laughs> yeah maybe she could have had a moment where she believed and then the guardian angel showed yeah. up because she believed mm -hmm. and he appeared yeah that was because, strange because there was also another moment where i was like oh dude that's not cool where she sits next she's a little she's a little orphan girl now she's out on the streets she's got uh one like ratty shawl and like a actually a pretty nice looking piece of bread and she sits <laughs> she sits next, next to dick van dyke and like the the voiceover is like well she couldn't see her guardian angel anymore like she didn't know it was him because she had stopped believing and she's like here do you want this bread and he f fully knowing that she is like starving to death and, and he's been watching her the whole time and he was like oh man that looks like a sick baguette though i will take that <laughs> I yelled You're at my a guardian screen. angel. You probably I, don't need to eat. I yelled at my screen, Dick Van Dyke, you don't need that bread. Give her back that bread. <laughs> and then as soon as she walks away, he just tosses it. I didn't <laughs> He's like, ah. <laughs> that, that was a little stale. <laughs> yeah, that, her, that girl, for being the main character, she had a complete lack of agency in anything that happened to her. Like, she never mm -hmm. made an active choice. It, like throughout the whole thing, really, it, it, it was kind of frustrating at times. Yeah, it was hard to get to know her as a character. I mean, we we spent a lot of time with her, but I felt like I didn't really know. I didn't really know buttons uh, <laughs> like I wish I had. I actually was kind of more connected to the adult version of Annabelle because like she had this whole thing where she like, oh, we might be able to adopt this little girl. And I, I thought the, the moment at the end when they go in and they they meet. I think her name was Emily. I, I thought that so, was like yeah. a really sweet yeah. scene where like she um she goes in to talk to talk to the little girl with with her husband mm -hmm. and that was actually really nice. So I think I connected more <laughs> with the adult Annabelle who's on screen for like maybe a total of 4 minutes maybe <laughs> uh than I did with the the little girl which is unfortunate. Well she had more of a more of a complete arc because you know adult Annabelle it's like 
they want a kid. They can't have a kid. Oh, someone like comes and says, come get a kid. And they come get a kid. It's <laughs> what she wants. You know, yeah, unlike yeah. little girl Annabelle who just kind of floats and gets beat up by everyone around her, except Dick Van Dyke, who she dances with. Yeah. He does take her bread though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good point. Like I, I, I never could get that emotionally attached to the Annabelle character just because I, I agree that she has no agency. She's just sort of buffeted by the winds of her life. Uh, and, yeah. and you don't really get to see much personality as that goes along. It's just, she's like, She's bummed as anyone would be, but there's mm-hmm. not like she's bummed, but also secretly she loves to paint or something like there's <laughs> she I think this is one of those stories that really actually could have benefited from like an I want song. Like, what did she want? Like, maybe like maybe halfway through the m- movie, she's just like, oh, I really want a family. Right. And then at the yeah. end, she finds yeah. a family. But I feel like she was just like, I don't I just uh, want to be in a warm location. <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> not working at a factory. That's what I want. But like, which is le- legit. Fine. I, I understand that. <laughs> she's like, I don't dream of labor. Could you get me out of here? <laughs> I have no dream job. I, I do not dream of labor. Exactly. <laughs> I would have loved if it had opened up with an I want song where she's like, I want my parents to always be alive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh poor poor buttons um yeah uh i was gonna ask y'all a question oh um so we talked about uh little, little annabelle's family who eventually adopts her at the end uh do we have any thoughts about the browning family jane seymour and maxwell sheffield from the nanny do we have any do we have any thoughts i mean an all-star cast really uh, Bill, do you have any thoughts about the uh, the Browning family who adopts uh, little Annabelle? Uh, they they were there. Yeah, <laughs> um, they mm-hmm. were. Uh, they definitely existed on screen for multiple minutes and did something in the plot. Beyond that, not really. <laughs> like, I, I, again, it, it it's like you guys were saying earlier. It definitely feels like people called in favors or people were doing like charity work and even the characters they came into play. Like I, I can't see why an actor of that stature would accept that role unless it was for something like that. Just cause I did. They, did they adopt all of the kids from the sweatshop? That's, <laughs> that's what they say at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So they must have been loaded. It would have been great if, like, at the end, uh, like, Buttons was like, and then they adopted everybody from the the factory. Except for me. Honestly, it got a little crowded in the house. I I begged them not to adopt everybody. I said, that's too many. It's too many. And I like my room by myself. <laughs> like, like, it, like she becomes like a rich girl. And then it's suddenly yeah. like, oh, do we want all of the pores in here? <laughs> no, g- given, given Annabelle's trajectory, I would have expected them to adopt everyone but Buttons. But Annabelle, they're like, they're like, all these kids that you work with are so cute. And she's like, yes, and me too. And they're like, I mean, you're really good at those buttons, though. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to take you away from your bliss <laughs> it would have been funny if like uh them adopting all those kids and made them lose their fortune and then the father would have had to go out to sea to get, get them oh no! yes! Yes! <laughs> starts all over again yep. <laughs> oh that would have been terrible well I, what i thought was interesting about what they were trying to do with that family is that they make a mention of 
the family recently lost the little girl. One of their their youngest daughter had recently died. And so I guess that makes makes room for Annabelle to be adopted and become like a replacement for that younger daughter, which I also thought was a little <laughs> I don't know if I want to say like creepy, but it was I, I don't know. Did they adopt her just because they she was being used as a replacement for their their recently deceased daughter? I don't know. I thought that was Yeah, it a was little a little weird. weird. I thought that was a little weird too. I it felt like there was just like too many storyline threads in this movie and like mm-hmm. they didn't really want to do anything with most of them <laughs> uh like the 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 browning family where they had like yeah they had that the daughter that died and so like their heart was was ready for to you know uh, adopt little annabelle but like we don't really like learn much about the family at all which is why it was so confusing that like the actors were like name actors they could have been like you know stand-ins and you would get the same experience there was like nothing that jane seymour was bringing to my god you're so cold uh, <laughs> the pathos to it but uh, i was just like what what's happening I, it was very strange it was like there was too many there was too much going on there was not enough character for all the characters that they had in this movie which is i think why katie mcgraw stood out so much in this movie to me, not just because I love her personally and her fashion, but also because she's like the only character that has like a clear personality in this movie and it's evil and it's over the top, but still it's like, I, I was excited to have a personality in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, w- I will say that Katie McGrath did shine through with her acting performance because she did seem to actually I don't want to say like everybody else was kind of phoning it in, but Katie McGraw seemed like she was going for it. Even if it was chewing the scenery a little bit, she was actually like committed to what she was doing. So I will say that her, her performance, even if it was, you know, kind of a small bit, uh, she, she did uh, objectively stand out, not just the me as a Katie McGraw fan. Like she objectively <laughs> did stand out. I will say in that moment with the, the church during the Christmas Eve service, when the daughter of the Browning family hears the knock on the church door, I thought that was actually uh, well done in the fact that I guess the guardian angel was knocking and she was the only one, like her guardian angel, I guess. We never see who that is. Uh, but somebody is knocking on that door and she's the only one who could hear it. Uh, and then she kind of stands up and there's like this slow motion shot as she goes towards the door. Some of that I did like. I thought that was actually pretty well done. So I'll give it that some of that, but, but when they get outside and they find Annabelle, they don't like bring her into the church. They just like <laughs> keep her outside in the cold. And, and I'm like, you can put that coat on her all day, but she's still out in the cold and it's snowing. You need to I, I love that you just mentioned that because Aaron in the chat says, can we talk about how, when they found buttons, they covered her with a coat rather than bring her into the warm church. Yes. What were they doing? I I get it. Like it's better visually to have her like laying with the family on the front steps of the church. Like that makes more sense. But if realistically, they should have taken her inside. She just fell through the ice, man. You got to get her warm. <laughs> well, it's like she was outside of a church, so the people inside are probably pretty charitable. So they were probably just, you know, if we just leave her out here, keep her out here, and pretend to comfort her, maybe she won't make it. And we won't have to adopt her. So- <laughs> That's true. What that would be such a buttons move if she like survives. She survives the the drowning in the cold, frozen uh, water. She makes it all the way to the church and she dies of like I don't and know. She's like some oh, sort of. It, 
it looks Frozen so warm disease. in there. And they're like, oh, I, I don't think you'd want to go in, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buttons. Classic buttons. <laughs> Classic buttons. Uh, Daryl says in the chat that Katie McGraw is so attractive, it's hard to root against her as a villain. <laughs> there, I guess there's a case to be made with uh, that viewpoint. Um, so I, uh, I think, uh, is there anything else that anybody wants to discuss about uh, Buttons, A Christmas Tale. Anything that we didn't mention? Dick Van Dyke, I swear, is going to be 174 years old. He's still going to be dancing insane. It's, Good it's for him. Amazing. Good, Good for him. Yeah. I, I have to I have to make a admission. So I, I fully I fully did not think that Dick Van Dyke was with us still. And uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I Googled him just to be like, oh, when did we lose this 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 you know tight national industry yeah. and then i was like oh no he's <laughs> we haven't uh so good for him though good for he's almost 97 now uh which is wild and and maybe there's something to that maybe the singing and the dancing has i i mean well know, that's, I mean, maybe that's the secret and we just we literally just lost angela lansbury i think she she only she was pretty old like a couple months ago yeah she was yeah. in her 90s too so maybe there's something to like the longevity of people who star in the movie buttons <laughs> <laughs> katie mcgraw's gonna live forever <laughs> dick van dyke has a really good book i think it's called like keep moving or something like that and it's really <laughs> about like how he kind of keeps functioning as you know uh 40-year-old man in a 90-year-old man's body. That's awesome. Really interesting book and gets into a little bit into his biography too, which is cool. That so, is cool. Right. Yeah, he's a he's a, he's a legendary figure in the film industry and uh the musical industry as well uh yeah. given his uh his and the uh, British accent industry. Yes, the <laughs> British accent industry. So uh Dick Van Dyke uh, Yeah, there is something to be said about uh continuing to move and uh you know Exercise is very important. So uh, there's there's some wisdom in that. Uh, Morgan, do you have any uh, any other thoughts you wanted to share about buttons before we go to overall thoughts and wrap up? Oh goodness, buttons, 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 buttons. <laughs> what, what what is there to say about this movie? Uh, really, I, I I questioned a lot of the choices uh, in buttons. Um, the directing was a little weird too. I don't want to. I don't want to like pile on. But it was a Tim Janis film. <laughs> it wasn't. A, I mean, in a typical in typical Tim Janis fashion. <laughs> no, but there were like there were some shots that were like off center. Uh, yes, and, and there were some times when the the sound mix was actually bad. Like somebody sounded like was in so like let's say somebody was in the foreground and the person in the background sounded like they were escaping they weren't a mic tunnel. Yeah, they yeah. weren't mic'd, and I was like, what's What's happening here exactly in this film? <laughs> okay, so that wasn't just like my TV no, or my I, sound. I, okay, I felt bad like bringing it up, but it was it was a little jarring. I was like, and it happened multiple times, multiple times. Okay, thank God it wasn't just. I thought it was just yeah. me. I was like, is is this happening? <laughs> and it happened in the same situation. Sounded like mush mouthed a lot too. Yeah, like, yes, like, like the audio sounded mush mouthed. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, the multiple in, uh, multiple instances I can remember, it was the same kind of situation where like a main character would be like seated at a table talking, and they would be mic'd properly, but the the uh, the lady in the kitchen would come out to bring something, and she would say a line, but she was not mic'd. It was that was a very similar uh, situation that kept recurring. So I I did take note of that. So maybe that's you know Tim Janis. Uh, this was his directorial debut. 
Maybe he's <laughs> he's learned uh, some, some he's picked up some new skills since then. Maybe he's uh, met some new audio people. Yeah, I mean, a new context relationships. <laughs> knowing that this is this some of this or like most of this was going to charity, I do wonder if like maybe people were volunteering to like. Uh, yeah, they may have together. had a smaller budget. Yeah. I wonder if the if that budget is listed anywhere. <laughs> I would. Or they worked for scale or something like. That. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're yeah. like, don't don't worry about it. I'll, I'm listen. I got like five mics here. That'll be good enough. <laughs> Now I'm actually curious about the uh, the budget. If we I don't got to mind Jane Seymour, she's fine. She's just standing in the background. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see if anybody can find the budget for that. It used to IMDb is not as um, easy to look up these kinds. of No, things it really anymore. isn't. Usually, it used to be kind of like easy to look up. Uh, sometimes they'll show that on. Box oh my God! Was Mojo. this so? Uh, again, I'm on Buttons, A Christmas Tales, Wikipedia, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know if this is correct, but according to Wikipedia, this somehow was Angela Lansbury's final film role. What? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. you know, I think it's fitting that she goes out as a guardian angel. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I, I think, I think that makes sense. And she got to, you know, she got to act with Dick Van Dyke. It was a really good cast. So, have they ever done anything together before? I can't remember. Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know. They both have such deep, like, filmographies. Mm-hmm. I would be surprised if they hadn't done something at some point together. Yeah, because they were both working for Disney around. Because didn't Mary Poppins and Bedknobs and Broomsticks come out within like the same like five year span? So they were around the like, Disney yeah. together. Yeah, probably Bedknobs and Broomsticks, one of my all time favorite movies. Just putting that out there. Um, yeah. So I could not find a budget for buttons. Yeah, I can't find it either, and I'm 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 googling, but nothing is coming up on the Google. I haven't looked, but I also haven't found it. So. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Thank you for the report. I um, found something that was like the numbers uh, dot com. And I was like, oh, cool. And there was like full financials. And there's like nothing. <laughs> you know, maybe they just did not want to disclose that. So they're like, listen, buttons was a triumph. Don't ask me more questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I get, that makes me wonder what the budget was, though, because they had all these big name stars. Did they not pay them? Did all the budget go to paying the actors? I think maybe they were like, hey, this is for charity. Like, would you sit on a a chair and tell a little girl the story? And Angela Lansbury is like, sure. (laughs) Well, based on what I know about the union stuff, like, basically, they'd have to at least pay them scale, which I think uh, for a production like that is somewhere between three or four hundred dollars a day. Okay. So, so I mean that's that's practically working for free if you're an Angela Lansbury or a or Jane Dick Seymour, Dyke. yeah, yes. or Jane Seymour, like yes, or obviously a Katie McGraw. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. Well, I, I guess that uh, will wrap up our thoughts on uh, buttons. A Christmas tale. That's the title we're going with. Um. It it is a Christmas tale. So if you're in the Christmas mood, it is a Christmas movie, in part. Uh, so you could watch it if you wanted a uh, a story that has a happy ending, but eventually, eventually <laughs> it, it, it takes a while to get there. Um, but it does have a uh, a happy ending for a Christmas movie if you are into 
that kind of thing. So I guess that's going to wrap up uh, this Supergirl Radio Christmas. Oh, yes. it It also had Angela Lansbury basically saying that adulthood equals the death of hope. She had like this little monologue that basically said, you know, when you grow up, you can't hope anymore. That's <laughs> so true. Message, so. All right. That's how we're going to end this movie review. <laughs> yes. I think that is appropriate. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess, uh, Morgan, we have some listener feedback. Uh, would you like to start us off? Sure. So we have an email from a listener who goes by no name, Mysterious, uh, (laughs) who sent us feedback about for the girl who has everything writing. Hi, Supergirl Radio. This is probably my favorite or second favorite episode of season one. So I had to write in my only true complaint other than sadness that Asher was killed off is that we didn't spend more time on Krypton. It's such an integral part of who Kara is as a person and character and what truly sets her apart from Clark since she actually remembers all that she lost. And I wish we could have seen more of it. We kind of just skip from Kara being sucked in by fake Kal-El. Then she's laughing with her parents right at home in the dream. I wish we'd seen more about how she got there, seen more of her day-to-day on Krypton. It sounded like they made her an adjudicator. Uh, rather yes. than a scientist, and I would have loved to see that, plus more interactions with her mom. Also, just more of Krypton's culture. Come on, season one writers, you could actually could have done it right. We know how important Kara's Krypton, uh, Kryptonian family is, and that she and Asher were close. And I just wish we'd dive deeper into that, into this what could have been verse. So yeah, not nearly enough time spent on Krypton. Uh, they should have trimmed more of the side plots. Um, uh, they go on to say, I know it's too early for boardroom or ballroom. First off, never too early. Uh, <laughs> uh, they say, I, uh, I need to point out that Carr's dress when she was on a uh, photon, which is like faux Krypton, which I love, um, was one of my favorites, elegant and lovely, uh, and just unusual enough to make you think maybe not typical earthwear. Uh, where was this style of dress on Argo post explosion? Did they just make the decision? Never again. She Shall we be constricted by even semi-formal clothing? From this day forth, we shall don only loungewear and commune clothes. Listen, you're judging it, but they're they're so breezy. Uh, (laughs) uh, They go on to say, except for Allura, her dress resembled actual clothing and not cult garb. Uh, No wonder the gazebos were having problems. (laughs) You can't be in the right gazebo building mindset in loungewear. That's not for work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's for relaxation also a uh, car's krypton hair gorgeous i don't remember ever seeing it curled like that again but i loved it so we we don't know if uh because i think the email is referring to the white dress that Kara wears on on photon is that is that what you got out of that was i think so great. yeah uh so we we do know what that that white dress was it was the medical gown uh on i krypton. mean their fashion was just like <laughs> out of control if that's what the medical gowns looked like. <laughs> so maybe they did have that on Argo. We just didn't see anybody in the hospital. Oh, maybe. They're like, listen, all day, every day, we're in loungewear. We're swishing around. Everything's slankets. <laughs> slankets, slankets everywhere. <laughs> you go to the hospital and you better come correct. <laughs> 
You better not show up to your surgeon. Species, you know, slankets are an evolved piece of clothing. So you know. I yeah, listen, I'm on I'm on the same page as Argo. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) They all wear like black tie attire when they go to the hospital. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Honey, do you have your tucks and tails? You've got to get to the hospital now. Yeah, so that's a good uh, uh, email about the Kryptonian uh, culture. And I would agree, Kara's hair in for the girl who has everything. A plus. I liked it in season one because they would curl her hair quite frequently. And then by, by yeah. like season five, they were like, forget it. We're, we're too tired. We can't. They're, we can't they're like, you anymore. know what, Melissa? You look you look good in everything. She's like, could I get a little fancy? They're like, Shh, nah. <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll just do the bangs. And that's you kind of great. the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you don't need curls with the bangs. That's too much. Uh, yeah. So I would agree about all of that. Well, we also finally got an answer to my question about uh, Taylor Swift's use ah. of snakes on her reputation tour. That has uh, come Ooh. up quite a bit on Supergirl Radio. Uh, we are <laughs> sometimes referred to as Taylor Swift Radio uh, here on the podcast. Uh, according to Twitter user, and forgive me, I'm just going to spell this out because I will probably mispronounce it. At Z-H-I-U-E-D-H-Y-V, Taylor uh, Swift has said in interviews at the time of the Reputation Tour that it was in relation to someone calling her a snake on social media and it caught on. So uh, this listener has also sent us a link to a Pop Buzz article that goes into detail about this. Uh, So (laughs) we've linked to that article in our live stream video description and uh, we'll put it in the audio podcast show notes if you want to check that out as well. So I guess she was just taking that criticism somebody threw at her and just said fine all snakes all around the floor we're just going to do snakes everywhere oh you think i'm a snake i'll be a snake and she's like snakes everywhere Uh, so thank you for that answer that really i i i can i can rest easy now now that i know now that i have that answer so i appreciate that Mystery solved. Um, so Courtney wrote in about holiday-themed Supergirl cast content, writing, I'm a bit behind, but in your Hostile Takeover episode, you asked if the cast were in any scary movies. Technically, it's not a movie, but Katie McGraw was in the first season of some horror show called Slasher. I think it's still on Netflix. It's been a while since I saw it, but towards the end, it gets really ridiculous. But she is the main character, so the whole season revolves around her. And I think another major character in the show was in season four of Supergirl as that one guy who led James to the Children of Liberty when they tricked Guardian into almost destroying some monument that had Supergirl locked in without uh, that had Supergirl locked in without her powers. Boy, uh, season 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 uh, four was a tour. Yeah, a whole journey, wasn't it? There were some things going on. (laughs) Now, Um, I will see Slasher. Of course I have. Uh, <laughs> of course I have. It's Katie McGraw. It's spooky. Um, it's a slasher. So, of course, uh, I watched the first season before Katie McGraw. I thought, this is insane. But I enjoyed it. Uh, they're right. As it went along, it got, like, crazier and crazier. I started – so I think I watched that, like, last year or the year before. And this this year I was like, oh, let, let me try season two. It's, like, anthology formatted. I just couldn't really get into into was, season two. Was there no but Katie? Katie there was no two? Katie. There was no Katie in season two, and so I'm starting to think maybe that could have had uh, that could have been a reason why <laughs> <laughs> there needed to be more Katie content in my in my slasher uh, shows. Okay, I'll have to check that out. I've I, I've now heard uh, several people tell me about slasher so it's absolutely uh, ridiculous yeah like she like i think the the premise is that like 
her mom was killed on Halloween Ooh. and uh, and like and when she was like a baby or about to give birth or something and they're like now Katie's coming back she's coming back to town to like get the house like take like take care of a house or something if if I remember right that was sort of the premise and then of course the murders begin again mm. uh, so and then everybody starts getting murdered so it's just like people being murdered left and right. So it's sort of like Scream. It's very Scream-esque, yeah. Yeah. Like very classic slasher. She's like very much the final girl. And she's like, oh, no, who got murdered now? (laughs) Uh, Okay. All right. I'm going to check it out. I don't uh, really do the horror movies and the uh, spooky stuff anymore. But I might check it out for Katie McGrath. See what's going on. (laughs) She's great. (laughs) Well, that's good to know. Uh, Well, shall we do some snap judgments? Bill, do do you have some time for some snap judgments? Yeah, I can snap. All right, let's do it. In the game of Snap Judgments, each person is presented with two options, but must only choose one. First instincts are recommended and explanations are unnecessary. Okay, so our first Snap Judgment is hot chocolate or peppermint tea? Bill, uh, what is your choice? I got to go with hot chocolate, uh, mainly because I'm not allowed to drink a lot of tea anymore for uh, reasons I won't get into because it's a family show. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I try to drink a tea because I know it's healthier, but man, I love hot chocolate. So I'm, I'm going hot chocolate on that one. <laughs> I got to go hot chalky on this one. It's, it's, a, it's a classic for a reason. A peppermint tea sounds delightful, but also is it like, is it full caffeinated? I can't drink that at night or I'll be like shaking. Yeah. I can you know, drink hot chocolate anytime. I could go for some peppermint, like flavored hot chocolate, though. Oh, that oh, would be so, a good combination. Like a so see, in cup. Uh, see, I used to be obsessed with like Dunkin' Donuts had uh, a, a uh, like a mint hot chocolate, and mm-hmm. I used to get it all the time. This year, I went to go get my mint hot chalky. I was already, <gasps> I was excited. They're not doing it anymore, and I was like, "Excuse me." Sir, how dare you? I'm going to like write to the president of Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> you should. Straight to the top I'm going. <laughs> Let your voice be heard. They were good, man. <laughs> they oh, made that a mistake. Is, <laughs> that is disappointing. I guess the peppermint got too expensive or something and they could Big peppermint. <laughs> Getting in our way again. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, better cameo. Uh, Roma Downey as Mother Genevieve or Jane Seymour as Mrs. Browning. If you don't recall, Roma Downey was uh, untouched by an angel. Uh, she was, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah she, she was one of the the, the main angels on the show. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize her uh, in buttons because uh, she wears a nun's habit. But uh, <laughs> and she wasn't touching people. So. She wasn't uh, no. touching. She was not an angel in this, and she was not touching people. So. <laughs> I mean, there were angels in this, so the irony abounds. Really, there, there were the, <laughs> angels had already been covered. We didn't, we didn't need an, another angel in this one. Uh, so, Bill, what is a, your choice here? I think I'm going to have to go with Jane Seymour, just because it's like you have to pick people that you you've at least met, right? If you have an option between someone you've met and someone you haven't, you have to pick the person you've met. So, I'm going to pick Jane Seymour. I got to meet her back in. 2005, I was being a paid seat filler at a Johnny Cash tribute concert out here in Los Angeles. And and I got to hang out on the side of the stage with her for about two, three minutes. Oh, that's cool. Do you remember, did you talk to her? Do you remember what you talked about? Uh, Yeah, I 
I well, Dave Grohl and Chris Christopherson were on stage playing, and we were ta- we were talking a bit about them. Oh, aren't they great? Oh, they've never played together, but they sound awesome together. That sort of thing. So. Amazing. Uh, That's so cool. Thank you for sharing your Jane Seymour experience. I will name drop all day. <laughs> <laughs> Love me some Dr. Coy Medicine Woman. So good. Um, you know, I have a, a soft spot for Roma Downey uh, because uh, there's a specific memory in my life where I remember watching Touched by an Angel with my grandfather, my brother, my mother, and me. <laughs> Everyone in the room was crying. Because Touched by an Angel, just it its main goal it, for it to exist was that it would make you cry by the end of the episode. And uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Touched by an Angel, I could never make it out of an episode of that show and not cry. So I guess uh, for that experience, you know, for that memory that I have, I guess I'm going to go Roma Downey. <laughs> I didn't even notice Roma. Poor Roma. I'm sorry. But like I didn't even know, notice that she was in it. But Jane Seymour was the moment watching this movie where I went, well, how are you in this? <laughs> uh, also, it's insane that Jane Seymour it, like looks the way she does at her age. God bless Jane Seymour. She's looking she's- great. She's such a hot lady. Uh, <laughs> just for that alone, I'm going to give it. I got to give it to Jane. Also, she adopted all those orphans. What did Roma do? <laughs> yeah, Jane Seymour really fit into that time period, whatever that time period was <laughs> exactly. that we determined. Because, um, uh, you know, it had it had a little bit of a Dr. Quinn medicine woman kind of time period. Uh, but but it's a nebulous time period, so we don't really know. Uh, but she, It could have been whenever. Yeah, she look like she fit in really well they have uh, okay. poor, but they don't have electricity what's going on uh. <laughs> yeah, i i know <laughs> nothing makes sense uh okay for our last one and this is a very important question a very personal revealing question <laughs> who would you rather have as a guardian angel dick van dyke or angela lansbury bill what's your answer tough one I am going to have to go with Dick Van Dyke. It's not that I don't like Angela Lansbury. It's just that I love Dick I, Van Dyke. I heard, I heard you say I hate Angela Lansbury. <laughs> Bill's on record. I was trying to throw people off the scent. Thanks for exposing <laughs> me here. No, Angela Lansbury is fine. But Dick Van Dyke, I don't know. He's just... He's a titan, like the old Dick Van Dyke show, one of my favorite sitcoms of all time, kind of influenced who I am as a comedian in a lot of ways. Uh, And Angela Lansbury, uh, she did Bed Knobs and Broomsticks and uh, Murder, She Wrote, which I never watch. So, Uh, uh, Murder, She Wrote. uh, What is that uh, town that's in Murder, She Wrote? Is that uh, Cabot Uh. Cove? I, I always get so. Cabot Cove and Bodega Bay mixed up, the two fictional places. <laughs> Cabot Cove is like the murder capital of the world. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. People are getting murdered all the time in that little town. Like, what are they doing now? Uh, <laughs> Jessica was always busy, that's for she, sure. <laughs> she, she always had a case to solve. For a long time, she did. Um, yeah, I think for me, I love Dick Van Dyke. He's so great. But Dick Van Dyke would probably make me sing and dance. And oh, sure. I don't know that I'm into that. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I would be able to compete with somebody like little Annabelle. So uh, I, I find the Angela Lansbury aspect of it a little more appealing because she would just serve you hot chocolate and read you a story. And that seems way better, like a chiller time. So I think I'm going to go with Angela what, what Lansbury. What did the girl have, though? Did she have, like, scarlet fever? Is it really a good idea to be <laughs> so, pumping someone full of sugar that's that sick? Probably not. <laughs> 
So if you're in that situation, you're probably a sick little child uh, laying in a hospital bed for orphans. But I think I think that that seems like a more relaxing time. I wouldn't uh, be required to uh, do a song and, and dance. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, this is a tough one um, because I love them both. Uh, I, but I do feel like I think Rebecca's right. Dick Van Dyke would certainly have you up singing, dancing. Sounds tiring. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, my, my girl, Angela, we have like a lot of we have a lot of things in common. I think like we uh, we both like sitting. So there's <laughs> that. Uh, we both like reading. And then like I feel like we could talk about murders all day. She's got <laughs> so many murders that she solved. And I'd love I'd be like, tell me all about that one. And it was the husband. Shocking. Um <laughs> she's the original true crime fanatic. Right? She's the she is original. If she had if Jessica ha- could have back in the day, I think she would have had a podcast and she would have been a big deal. Uh so I feel like just for that, like me and my guardian angel just sitting around drinking hot chalkies talking about true crime. I don't know what's better than that for me. <laughs> <laughs> No judgments on your snap judgments. A fun Angela Lansbury fact, because she did pass away a couple of months ago, I believe. And uh, I was very fun. Well, that is. Yeah, that's an extremely fun fact is that she's dead. No, uh, but I I watched this like New York Times like uh, package about her. And I did not realize that she was in the movie Gaslight, like where the term Gaslight comes from. Yeah. Like, that's how old she was. She was in like this movie. She was really young uh, in the movie, but she was in that movie. And I was like, oh, my God, it was unbelievable when they started going through all these movies that she was in, like these big, big movies from like back in the day, the 30s and the 40s and even the 50s. And I was like, whoa, it's just unbelievable the, the career that she had. Uh, yeah, it spanned decades. Upon I, I, Morgan, I think you're wrong. She wasn't in Gaslight at all. <gasps> Are she you wasn't. gaslighting me, sir? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well yeah, played. She, yeah, she's she's been in some really great classic films. If you've never seen Angela Lansbury when she's uh, in her, her younger years, it's, it's quite uh, fun to go back to some of those. Oh, I, I, I just pulled up Daryl's comment, but he says uh, she was also in Sweeney Todd. I did not know this. Yeah, it's yeah. a classic. Uh, they, there's a tape version of it they used to air on PBS. You can probably find it online. Oh, so she's not in the Tim, Ber- Tim Burton version. No, no, she was a, she was uh, famously in the stage version. Oh so. man, I would have <laughs> given anything for her to been in that Tim Burton with <laughs> right? uh, Helen and Bonham Carter. <laughs> that would have been wild. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! Uh, but that I'll have to check that out. Very, very interesting. Um, well, I guess now that we've gotten through snap judgments, uh, we need to get to some Supergirl Radio and DC TV podcast plugs. And uh, this time around, we're going to uh, debut Joe's award-winning contest submission. We've already been uh, playing Brian, so uh, Joe's going to take it uh, for us this week. If you would like to contact Supergirl Radio, you can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can call us at 678-718-7252. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Podchaser, and Spotify, where we also have a Spotify playlist that includes music featured on and inspired by the C3 
CW Supergirl TV series. We are listed on DC's fan page, which you can find at dccomics.com slash dc-fans. If you like what we do, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our Supergirl radio live streams, make sure to subscribe to the DC TV Podcast YouTube channel and hit that notification bell to get notified when we go live and wired. DC TV Podcast also has a Tee Public store, so if you are in need of new DC TV related t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, onesies, mugs, notebooks, pillows, or stickers, go to supergirlradio.com and click on the Tee Public store link at the top of the page. Now see here, Supergirl Radio is part of the DC TV Podcast Network, so if you want to listen to other shows, we've got The Flash Podcast, Legends of Tomorrow Podcast, The Lituation Room, DC on HBO Max Podcast, Stargirl Podcast, Superman and Lois Radio, Green Lantern Podcast, The Sandman Podcast, DC TV After Dark, and Justice League Dark Podcast. Uh, Morgan, would you like to... Uh... Talk I, about the tea public. I would absolutely love to do that. <laughs> uh, I was just so into the new plugs that I forgot where I was in the dock. Oh, um, and I actually need to change things in the docks. Basically, we're going to be promoting uh, Katie McGrath merch. Well, since we talked about the fine cinematic masterpiece, Buttons. A Christmas Tale, if that is your preferred uh, title, uh, star- starring our, uh, Katie McGraw. We have uh, tons of Katie McGraw and Lena Luther designs in the DCTV T Public Store. Yeah, so if you have a, a Katie McGraw fan in your life, or you are the Katie McGraw fan, uh, we have lots <laughs> in of, your own life. <laughs> in your own life, uh, we have lots of Lena Luther and a Katie McGraw merchandise in the DC TV podcast T public store. If you'd like to check it out uh, and we recommend that you do, we got some cool stuff in there. Also, we would like to thank our Legion of super sponsors. Uh, these people are Michael, Sam, Anne Marie, Yvonne, Nicola, Leslie, Abby, Ermgard, Miriam, Nicole, Faith, Brian, Ethan, Danny, and Tara. If you'd like to become a Legion of a super sponsor, we have four monthly uh, memberships that you can choose from and, we appreciate everyone's support. Uh, we've been uh, doing some uh, fun Patreon exclusives, uh, including talking about The Val Season 2. Uh, we probably should do a follow-up on that because Morgan actually watched The Val Season 2. Uh, so, so some, I, I, some I binged it um, very quickly. I'm not sure if I would recommend that. Uh, I'm just like walking around looking at people kind of funny now. <laughs> we also uh, pitched stories about uh, Alfred Pennyworth. Uh, that we was, did. <laughs> it was pretty fun. Uh, we need to uh, workshop that into an actual uh, outline or uh, comic book script. It's going to be think, great, though. I, really. I think we got some good story <laughs> ideas for um, uh, Alfred Pennyworth. Well, I, I guess that leads us to our personal plugs. Uh, Bill, where can our listeners and our viewers uh, find you on the Internet? Uh, thanks, Rebecca. Uh, if people want to check it out, I've been doing for the past few months, I've been doing a new podcast called where I'm from, uh, which is a podcast where I talk to people about where they're from. I've talked to people that your listeners know, like Rebecca and Stephen Toblowski from Groundhog Day and Stephen Pate from the Bare Naked Ladies and Beekman from Beekman's World and a whole t- bunch of other people. It's a lot of fun. Uh, like I said, you can check it out at BillMeeks.com slash where I'm from. It has links to find the podcast, the YouTube live stream, the YouTube edited version with b-roll and context and all that stuff and uh you know just keep an eye out on my twitter at bill meeks and i'll let you know when i'm gonna go live with it 
Yeah, we've got all of Bill's uh, links in the uh, live stream video description below if you want to check it out while you're watching the live stream. And we'll also have it on the audio podcast show notes. Uh, I've been telling people on Supergirl Radio that Bill had all these famous people. And then he was like, hey, Rebecca, you should come on the podcast. And I was like, why? And not perhaps perhaps the most famous of all. <laughs> I, know, I was like, I had to build up. Oh, you sure. had, you did, yeah. They were like, "I'm uh, finally the audience is ready to drop the big <laughs> one." <laughs> but yeah, I had fun uh, talking about Birmingham, Alabama, with Bill, and uh, maybe sometime, Bill, if you, if you make it back down this way, I'll take you to some of those restaurants I told you about because they're pretty good. Um, I'm gonna make sure uh, Morgan has said she'd be down to come on. I haven't ooh. booked her yet. In the new year, Morgan, for sure. Awesome. For I sure. represent the East Coast over here. <laughs> I would be into listening to that. I think uh, that would just be another notch on your famous people uh, build. <laughs> of course. Of course. The, the, the audience is ready in 2023, Bill, I think, finally. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, it would be a lateral notch from Rebecca. Of course. Of course. No, yeah. no. I, I, I think yeah. there's a, a higher class that, that comes with Morgan getting on your, your podcast. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Well, I look forward to that. Well, uh, if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on uh, the social media platform Vero, which I enjoy quite a bit. Uh, you would know that I've recently watched Buttons because I told you about it on Vero. Uh, you can follow me there at Derby Kid. I'm also on Instagram at the at the Derby Kid. And uh, you can check me out on my personal YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. I'm still going through the top critics of Rotten Tomatoes and their Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice reviews. I really feel like I'm close to the end. I don't know what number I'm on yet. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's getting there. Hopefully, making I can your way finish. through. <laughs> Boy, it's been a long time that I've been doing it's been these a journey. things. It really, it really has. And uh, you know, they don't they don't you know uh, do a spell check on the reviews, and they spell Luther with an E. And it's it's getting to the point where I'm getting real tired of it. Uh, you know, at least the bare minimum, do a spell check uh, before you publish something. Uh, so you can check me out on Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I'll do a live stream there where we actually verbatim read through the review. So I'm not making anything up and you can read it with me. Uh, so that's what I do over on my personal YouTube channel. So you can subscribe there and uh, check it out. And you can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Mojotastic. And you can also find me on uh, DCTV, Ather Dark, and the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. So uh, we just dropped an episode about all about social media where we're like, what's the deal with social media? Um, you would think asking that question we'd have answers we don't but we just kind of talk about it like what is the deal with social media what's going on uh, a lot of, a lot of good things to ponder uh and then obviously this month we're gonna do uh we're gonna do uh, some of our own christmas movie watching so we are going to be watching a a, cl a classic christmas movie a cheesy Christmas movie mm. and a Christmas movie starring the legends cast for our Patreon supporters. So um, pray for me. It's a lot of Christmas movies and uh, there's so many, there's so many Christmas movies. Although the one that won uh, a classic Christmas movie is the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, so, that's a, classic, a good one. A classic of the form. Really? <laughs> that is, that is a really, really good one. Just so make sure you watch the fixed version with the love is gone. Put back in because yeah. that's very important. It's a turning point. It is a turn. I, I, I agree. I think they're, they're releasing on Disney plus like the, uh, the full version, like the, mm -hmm. you know, with, with all that and that song back in. So we're going to experience it, how it's meant to be experienced. It's Excellent. a great, great film. A great uh, take on 
uh, Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I think it might be my second favorite, though, because I do love Bill Murray in Scrooge. <gasps> oh, Scrooge is great. Scrooge is yeah. like my number one uh, take on A Christmas Carol. I think I prefer that one because I used to work in television and like <laughs> Bill Murray's character is like a TV executive. And so yeah. some of that feels very familiar but like correct to you but the the Muppets are like right right there it's great because Michael Caine plays the movie so so straight and so serious so committed (laughs) and all of his all of his co-stars are Muppets and it's (laughs) it's absolutely fantastic one of one of the best performances of his career I think yeah that's what really sells it I think is his commitment to Ebenezer Scrooge (laughs) really it really does uh Sam Sam uh Eagle has a great appearance in that as uh Ebenezer Scrooge's. Oh uh, yeah, that's he's right. like his uh, teacher in his flash. <laughs> it's perfect. It's I, perfect. I was always disappointed that they never brought back the the puppet for the Ghost of Christmas Present. I think the the big. Uh, yes. Oh yeah, the, I love Jolly Guy. They never brought that puppet back for anything. It's a shame. That was a great puppet. I, yeah. He he can serve another purpose outside of a Dickens Christmas Carol. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they can find a place for him. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that is, that's an excellent selection. I look forward to hearing uh, the legendary ladies discuss that. Uh, well, I think uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Super Radio. The final one of 2022, not the final one of ever. No, Just we'll be back in 2023. Year. We'll be back next 2022 year. 2022 is the last year ever. Well, if the world ends December 30th, 2022, <laughs> then I guess. Then we should have, maybe then we should have like, you know, scheduled a little differently. We, you know, we what? know that we would have scheduled differently. <laughs> I feel good knowing that if this was the last episode of Super we're, go- we're going out on buttons. <laughs> it feels correct, right? <laughs> you know, I feel good about it. I feel like that's... It, it felt right. This Actually, is us at the top of our game. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, I should. I, this feels like a good time to bring up Aaron's comment from the chat, uh, <laughs> who said, "I rented this movie because I've never seen it and was disappointed." But tonight's episode of Supergirl Radio is making it worse now. So you know what, Aaron? I think if, you, Aaron. If, if this was the last episode of Supergirl Radio, I think Aaron's going to be good with it. I think Aaron, we're going to be good Aaron, with it. Aaron's fine with it. So why wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but we will be back in 2023. So, no, there is more Supergirl Radio coming. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Supergirl Radio. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Morgan Glennon. And we hope you have a Christmas tale of your own this holiday season. McGurk! I love not typing. Not with my Google Docs, Meeksy. Supergirl Radio is going live every night of the week. How do you like it? Is being, becoming a human burrito a plus or a minus? I don't know. It does seem snug. I mean, they say you are what you eat. Kira. I love that. So I do a podcast called Supergirl Radio, and one of our segments is Lena Luther boardroom or ballroom. Because <laughs> she looks like a boss in this show. Nasty Luther, like a different Luther? It's not just Lena being mean? No. Helen Slater here. So fun to know that you're hosting a podcast called Supergirl Radio. Yay!